been far from a classic but Aberdeen have done exactly everything right from that beautifully inside Watson oh the bar Scanlon yes what a marvellous goal to finish this match they have won Alec Ferguson is on now in the penalty area there he's in Aberdeen have definitely won the championship can you blame the man for going out of his mind temporarily Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the By The Minute AFC podcast. We have got a packed show for you again. Big moments coming at the end of the season, so we've got lots to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm your host for this episode. My name is Martin Clunas, as always. Uh, we have two guests this evening. We have the ever-present Richard. Hey, how are you doing, Richard? Hello, everybody. Good to hear your voice again, Richard. How are you doing? Yeah, I, I'm okay. Bank holiday Monday, obviously, and since we've got nothing better to do, we're, uh, we're in front of a microphone. <laughs> And we've managed to we've managed to ruin another person's bank holiday as well by hauling him in for a podcast. Um, welcome back, Jody Jameson. How you doing, Jody? Not bad, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a while, so uh, yeah, it's good to be back. And we felt we should invite Jody on because uh, he 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 gave up his Saturday afternoon sitting watching the Aberdeen game on Red TV as well, um, not being Aberdeen based as well. So um, we thought we'd give you the chance to vent, Jody. I, like I don't want to, I don't want to spend like thirty seconds just on this game, but it was it was one of those games where, like, it was played at a hundred miles an hour. So in in a way, it was quite entertaining to watch. But the longer the game went, the the quality just completely fell out of the game. And the last half hour of that game was just appalling, to be honest. And if these are if these are two of the teams who, in theory, should be challenging next season, then. It's it's kind of worrying. I know I know it could be a case that they just cancelled each other out, but the, the game just got worse and worse as it went on. So yeah, it was a, it was a little bit soul destroying considering how big a game it was. It really was a big game, uh, Richard. Um, I do want to just bring something up as then um, pre match. Derek McInnes uh, mentioned that he felt that there was a lack of recognition for the Aberdeen players. Uh, that praise seems to be directed mainly at Hibernian and their manager as well as the Rangers. Um, is that a genuine valid complaint, or was it just Derek with a little desperate last-minute attempt at some mind games? He's intelligent enough to know that his season at Aberdeen is going to be defined entirely by the cup results, especially the domestic ones against Motherwell, which were obviously um, huge, huge disappointments. And they are going to reflect how the season season has gone but perception plays a big part if we had not if we'd been in Hib's situation and not finished second for 43 years obviously that would be seen as a massive massive prize now as far as I'm concerned it's still something I want us to get I'm not going to have any sleepless nights if we don't get there so it will mean obviously that we've let either Rangers or Hibs or perhaps both of them get ahead of us from the position we're in right now which would be a big disappointment but it's it's not such a big deal for us. And obviously the expectations and the standards have been raised over the last five years at Aberdeen. And that is down to Derek McInnes. But yeah, perception is important. Because Hibs right now, they're fourth in the table. They're lower than either of the last two championship winners. Hearts or the Rangers were in their first season back in the... Uh, well, back for Hearts. First season in the Premiership for the other team. Um, they were knocked out of the Scottish Cup at the first time of asking by uh, their capital rivals, Hearts. And yet, 
Neil Lennon's received nothing but praise. I mean, Hibs are, they've got a less, but a lesser budget than us, no question. But I think they're very much at the stage we were last season, at the, kind of the end of the, to use Pedro's phrase, end of their cycle. They've been able to build a team fairly quietly over the last couple of years in the Championship. Had decent amount of cash because they've been backed by people buying season tickets. Winning the cup made a huge difference as far as that goes, obviously. So, they've had a lot of praise, some of it justified. They've done well since Christmas, he recruited very well at Christmas. However, they are still fourth, and are still probably favourites to finish fourth. And um, you're going to end up with a situation a lot of people touting Neil Lennon for manager of the year when he's done considerably less than Derek McInnes has done in any of his seasons at Aberdeen. So perception is important to these things. I do think that's interesting, Jody. Um, that you know, we've we've spoken on this podcast before, and I'm, I'm sure the last time you were on, we spoke about it. Where, um, like Richard mentions there, Derek McInnes have said set targets, um, things like that. But you no, know, talking about finishing second, talking about reaching cup finals, success in Europe. Um, I don't want to spend too long because we do seem to be covering cover this a couple of times, but we we will come to a situation in the season where people will be asking questions that saying that the manager has failed to meet his targets and that's one of the reasons why there does seem to be a, a, a an ever-growing social media sort of turn on Derek McInnes isn't there yeah and I think like I hear a lot of people say that McInnes has taken Aberdeen as far as he can and like in a way I do understand that sentiment but at the same time like, how much further can you really take a team? I know, obviously, the Cups have been a massive disappointment this season, but I think I think the, the sort of unrest we've seen on social media is mostly just based on the fact that the football hasn't been as good this season, and that's it. But, I mean, Derek McInnes, to me, has set such a benchmark for for the, the, the quality of the side and the quality of the football that this season just has been a disappointment, but... I, I don't like I don't like to use the sort of remember where we were before he got here, but like considering the way we've played this season and the fact that we're still arguably well we're we're in second place with two games to go that like in terms of league performance I can't really complain too much obviously individual games aside but yeah I just I feel like how do I put this I feel I feel like the the expectation on Aberdeen at times can be a little bit unrealistic. So, like, and it, it, it seemed very quick that some people turned on Derek McInnes. It was like he was the saviour once he, once he turned down the Rangers job and within about three or four weeks people were calling for his head. So, yeah, I, I think it's just the nature of football, really. Saturday wasn't a, was a, an opportunity to, to turn some of those comments into, into positives, really. Um, but like you mentioned at the beginning of the show there, Jody, um, the quality, it started off, it started off decent, I thought. Um, the quality did kind of, it kind of really did fall off a cliff. Um, the only change we saw in the game was um, was obviously enforced. We saw McLean dropping out through suspension. Uh, Mark Reynolds came in. Um, I don't think I was really much surprises in that one. Um, Richard, um, I'm trying to look at highlights from the game that, that aren't um, awful refereeing decisions. You've got the penalty from Joe Lewis, which was obviously given away by by Reynolds, which is a pretty a pretty poor challenge in the box. Um, a great save by Joe Lewis, and then we had McGinn um, had a free kick that hit the hit the bar. Um, other than that, it really was it was poor fare, wasn't it? 
Um, uh, Hib started very well. Uh, the, there was the one point at which uh, they managed to get Boyle isolated against Mark Reynolds very early on, opening five minutes, and he put over... Well, it, it's a poor cross, really, because it, it goes far too far away from the strikers, but it, it looks like it's close and a, a good cross because it's it just goes a few inches past the, the far post. But it was really a poor ball in. But they started very well, and I think what the penalty save did, obviously... and. It, it was a penalty kick. Uh, I mean, McLaren ensures that there's a cl- collision and doesn't need a second invitation to go down, but it is a penalty kick. Uh, and uh, the thing the penalty kick did was stop their momentum as much as anything else. You know, it got it gave us a lift and allowed us to just settle a little bit, I thought, because I thought we'd started very shakily. And it's a good stop from Joe Lewis. It's not a great penalty kick, but it is a good stop. But I think, again, it's an important point to recognise the overall contribution that Joe Lewis has made since he arrived. I think this season there have been a couple of copybook blotting moments um, over the course of the season. Um, and again, as well, as Joe Lewis did on Saturday, I'll give credit to Anthony O'Connor and um, Scott McKenna in front of them. And indeed, Dominic Ball and Graham Shinney, who covered a lot of ground, did a lot to nullify Hibbs' uh, much-vaunted midfield. We weren't, didn't, however, have any creativity in the centre, obviously, with Kenny McLean being out. And that really, really did hinder us, I thought. I think bringing Greg Stewart on at half-time was an attempt to try and provide some sort of link between the midfield and the, the strikers. But all throughout the game, it was a real struggle to get anything flowing through there. And hopefully that's something we can do a bit better on Tuesday night. I want to pick up on that as well, Richard. So I know it's something you, you mentioned on um, on the Twitter feed on Saturday as well about the about the central midfield partnership, uh, the power of work that they put they put in Jody, um, they really did. Um, Hibbs, you know, apart from sort of early early flourish in the game, Hibbs couldn't get a foothold because we ju- we just stopped them playing, uh, which is something that I think that you no, know, we've maybe been critical of Aberdeen this season for. Especially the last time we played Hibbs at Easter Road, it was when they had McGeoch. McGinn and Allen in the midfield they just completely overran us in that game and just passed rings around us that game so if you if you go into that game where your central midfield partnership is Shinny and then Dominic Ball the way Ball's played at times this season it is kind of cause for concern but he's had a couple of smashing games in a row so um, and that, 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 that to me was the big difference because uh, like you said um, Hibs did start the better side but the longer the game went on, not to say that we, we, we controlled the game by any means, but the more we were just competitive in the game. And, yeah, like, I know Dominic Ball hasn't been a particular favourite this season, but I thought he had a smashing game on Saturday. And him and Shinny just ensured that Hibbs midfield didn't run rampant. And every time I've watched Hibbs play well this season, it's because their midfield two or midfield three have really ran rampant. So, definite credit to Shinny as always, but definitely impressed with Dominic Ball on Saturday, and I kind of wish we'd seen more of that this year. We maybe caught a little bit of a break as far as that goes, with obviously McGeoch starting on the bench and only coming on for Scott Allen towards the end. So we maybe caught a little bit of a break, uh, and the absence of McLean was nullified a bit. And it's obviously a bit disappointing that we're talking about a home game where... You know, we are setting out to nullify the opposition, but we don't have a player that we can slot in in the squad to replace Kenny McLean. And it comes down to a squad management, which has already been recognised as not being up to it, not being up to it this season in terms of his overall 
squad of 20 or whatever first team players so that when somebody like Kenny McLean drops out you don't have you don't even have Greg Tanzi because he's been shipped off to, to Ross County but you don't really have another like for like creative midfielder who's also going to give you the sort of energy that Kenny McLean has done in the last few months in particular. It is a bit disappointing to be sat here talking about the positives from a home game against the team below us in the league are that, you know, our midfield two covered a lot of ground. But with the way that we shaped up against them, it was always going to be quite a critical battlefield. One thing we'll mention as well is, and I've seen some, I've seen some reactions even from the Hibs fans being quite critical of him as well. So um, I think we're we're all pretty much united in the fact that um, the referee John Beaton um, did. I think allowed the game to turn into um, really a really scrappy game, a bit of a slugfest at times. Um, there was um, there was the obvious one we're going to talk about, which is John McGinn's challenge on Gary Mackay Stephen, which was a particular shocker. Which um, the, the as we record this about twenty minutes ago, McInnes has uh, Derek McInnes has announced that. Gary McKay-Steven's going to be out at tomorrow's game against the Rangers with a knock. Um, this is uh, when both when both sides of fans are being critical of a referee, and it's not the first time we've, we've spoke about John Beaton this season, um, and the standard of refereeing in Scotland it just seems to be slipping. Um, it isn't about, no, we're not talking about diving and people making things harder for the refs. We're talking about basic decisions here, uh, Jody. Um, he missed and he got so many decisions just completely wrong, I think. There's nothing worse than in in terms of a refereeing performance where both fans are united in hating you. You know what I mean? It's like, like, I mean, like some of the some of the bigger decisions he did get right. I thought, like, I mean, Red TV were going mental about Anthony O'Connor getting booked after like thirty seconds, but I mean, they were on the break and it was cynical. So like, I had no complaints. The penalty as well was fine, but everything else just seemed to be a total tombola, and like it, like. It's it's one of those it's one of those situations where you feel like the referee's guessing rather than like making decisions and yeah like just an infu- like it's it's infuriating some of the some of the games that you just feel have been ruined by the referee in Scottish football and like beaten like like you say beaten has been a particular bugbear every time we've seen him this season and I mean he was just no better on Saturday at all that was just. Referees just aren't accountable at the moment for their performances, and it seems to be that like the only way you can get demoted as a referee is to give like three or four unbelievably game-changing, awful decisions in a row. Whereas like that level of incompetence just shouldn't be tolerated, but it's always going to be, and that's kind of where the argument comes in: is like, what's the incentive to get any better? Because once these guys become Premier League referees. They're just there for 10, 15, 20 years if they want to be. So, like, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I've got the solution, but that doesn't mean we can't bitch about the problem. It's a league-wide issue. We saw again on Sunday there was a number of high-profile decisions that Bobby Madden, who I think is maybe the worst of a lot to be honest, missed in the Hearts versus Celtic game. You've got the Naismith incident. You've got Hearts having a goal ruled out for not very much at all. You've got. Celtic's equaliser being offside, albeit that's the assistant referee. But yeah, just the overall standard is pretty low. To be perfectly honest, the only card or major incident I would properly object to on Saturday was Guy McKay-Stevens one. And even then, he's coming from behind. So you kind of, in that scenario, you always run the risk. But he does certainly seem to win the ball. The John McGinn one's an interesting one. I, I, I think it's a yellow. Um, but I would be interested to hypothetically 
likely see a scenario where that's Graham Shinney that makes that challenge and you've got Neil Lennon going rad on the touchline and see what happens then. You mentioned Neil Lennon there. Um, after the game, um, he was fairly insistent that his side were the better side and deserved the three points. Um, McInnes, I think, quite fairly said that, you no, know, we had some chances, they missed a pen, it was probably a draw. I mean, is Neil Lennon right? I don't think Hart Hibbs were by any stretch of the imagination the better side on Saturday, were they, Richard? Um, they well, the first ten minutes. Other than that, it just it really did just descend. Um, and as Georgie rightly points out, towards the end, and I made the point on Twitter that you were looking at a situation where when these two teams are routinely battling out for ninth and tenth in the SPL uh, a couple of years ago, that the quality was was perhaps better then when you had the <laughs> likes of uh, Isaac Osborne running the show in centre midfield for Aberdeen. Um, it. Partly it was nerves. I don't think either side wanted to lose, which I was a bit surprised at. I was really surprised at Hibs at the end, you know, celebrating like that was a really good result for them because I think it was a better point for us in our scenario than Hibs. That might play out differently. I might be made to look a fool over the course of the next uh, set of games. It certainly wouldn't be the first time. Uh, like, for example, the time I said, uh, you know, why are BT Sports covering the home game against Hearts and not the much more attractive looking game against Hibs? <laughs> I wasn't going to call you up on that at all, Richard. You, you really didn't have to mention that. Um, Always admit uh, your mistakes, Martin. Always admit your mistakes. Fair enough. Before someone else does, you do. <laughs> uh, before the game on Saturday, it was also announced that Aberdeen had signed Lewis Ferguson on a pre-contract from Hamilton Ackes. Um He's 18 years old. He's played 14 top game appearances for them this season. Um, Derek McInnes has, has vaunted him as being one for the future. Um an 18-year-old with 14 first-team appearances. Uh, Jody, not many of our 18-year-olds have that. So um, he's a midfielder. Um, OK, he says one for the future, but um, he certainly seems to be an interesting prospect. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen him play, but I've heard uh, good things about him. Or if I have seen him play, I didn't notice him, and that's probably on me. But you can always criticise, like, Celtic and Rangers for snapping up the sort of better players from the rest of Scottish football and then moaning about the league being uncompetitive. But... It's actually kind of pleasing, considering, like, I think Crystal Palace were in for this kid, so I know that's not always an indicator that he's going to be a good one, but um, it feels it feels like if, a, if, a, if an English Premier League team's going after him, then obviously he's got something, so to get him snapped up, I mean, I'm certainly not going to complain, but it does come back to just what you said right there, is that other than Scott McKenna, a lot of the, a lot of the young guys really haven't had a chance, so I, I would love to see a scenario that if this kid's... If this kid's that good already, then he comes in and he's immediately challenging for a starting berth. But, it's, I mean, I also see a potential scenario where he plays about three games in the next two years and spends half of it on loan. So, um, like, I, I, can't, I can't really give a sort of opinion on him as a player just because I haven't seen him. But um, considering he's reasonably highly thought of, I'm, I'm happy we've got him. I think he'll be in the first-team squad next year. How much he plays um, is obviously open to debate, but it's equally it's open to him grabbing opportunities should he get one. I mean, um, the Scott McKenna situation is probably the best example of that. A lot of people suggesting that old McKenna only got his chance because we got hammered at Motherwell. Well, that's true, but equally McKenna was in the squad as backup left-sided centre-back to Mark Reynolds, who'd started the season as left-sided centre-back and had played pretty much all of last season as left-sided centre-back, a season in which I hate to remind people who 
almost seemed like a stale, but we actually did quite well, even if we didn't win things. So he comes in, first a real available opportunity to, to make a significant change. He does well, he makes himself undroppable. And that's really got to be the message to to uh, guys like Lewis Ferguson and maybe some of our own uh, youngsters who might be moving up into the first team squad over summer. And definitely in midfield, there is an opportunity right here, right now, because you know, even if we bring someone in who's an intended starter, 30-odd games a season, there are going to be games he misses out. Maybe he doesn't hit the ground running. And yeah, there's absolutely going to be the opportunity. But I'll say, you know, it, it's the case that you've got to take that opportunity. There's no point doing a Scott Wright and having a couple of flash fancy turns against Hamilton and then you know, Scott Wright started a decent amount of games in the first third, first uh, quarter of the season. Got a decent amount of game time, but his, again, his end product really wasn't up to up to scratch. Although you could say the same about quite a lot of striker, uh, quite a lot of our attacking talent this season. In fairness, this has nothing to do with anything as well. But uh, on Scott McKenna, uh, my uh, my friend Ali Sargent, who does a lot of the by the minute boxing coverage, is an Air United fan. And he never tires of telling me how shite Scott McKenna was last season on Lone Air. <laughs> so he's obviously came on to a game, and like I was surprised to see him. I think it was I think it was the was it the Motherwell away league game where he made like his first star. But he, like yeah. you say, he's made himself absolutely undroppable. So that should be the incentive to guys like Lewis Ferguson. So hopefully, hopefully, if he gets an opportunity, he can take it with both hands the same way McKenna did. There has to be a degree of uh, personal responsibility from the player himself when it, when it comes to that. He can be given the opportunities. And, you know, going back earlier into McInnes' tenure, guys like Cammy Smith and Nicky Lowe were given those opportunities. Even Craig Story, I've said this before on here, but Craig Story was, uh, he got his first start as a 16 year old in Derek McInnes' first home game. So the opportunity was there for a guy like Story, but for whatever reasons, and there's a lot of undocumented hearsay on this but he didn't grasp those opportunities and he got a situation where Craig Story spent the end of last season um, on a short term deal at Brecon so uh, it, it's their careers it's up to them to make the most of it but we don't want to get a reputation where we're a club that doesn't have that pathway for young talent to make the first team I don't like praising them, but I think that's something that Celtic, and it's partly because they've been able to do it domestically, I suppose, has been, it's easier for them to blood a couple of youngsters in a team which is uh, established winning most weeks. But you look, you've got a good proportion of that team has come through the youth ranks. Um, and whilst we obviously have Andy Considine, who's still there, and, and, and Scott McKenna, it, it's something which supporters love to see. And I we said before, I think it's something he could have been a bit braver on because, again, we've got a good standard of player throughout the first team and I think it, it's possible we could have supported a youngster maybe taking their first steps in some of these uh, games throughout the season. We're just going to move on to our next topic as well. Um, on Saturday, we the sad news was announced that uh, Sir Alex Ferguson um, had been taken into hospital for emergency surgery Um suffering a brain hemorrhage um, obviously all three of us and everybody who is associated with Aberdeen Football Club and this podcast and anything else um, wishes them all the best obviously we'd like to just discuss um, what he kind of means to us and our club I mean for me once the, I'm sure once the three of us have shuffled off this mortal coil um, what Sir Alex did for Aberdeen Football Club will continue to define um, everything in and around the club um, it has done since he, since he left and I think it does 
I was very lucky. I, I managed to meet the man when he was up for the when he got the freedom of the city. Um, I was I was lucky to get about twenty seconds of his time, and very embarrassingly and very gushingly, sort of said thank you for everything he did for Aberdeen Football Club. Uh, lots of things have been written and said over the past couple of days, just to wishing him well and hoping he makes a full recovery. Everything he did for Aberdeen Football Club. You no, know, I mean I look at the man and with Aberdeen Football Club with Manchester United, um, he strikes me as he is. And something I admire is he's one of the sorest losers I've ever seen and he's also one of the greatest winners I think any sport, never mind football, will ever see. Um, and he's just a, he's a man to be admired and um, personally I wish him all the best and I hope he makes a full recovery. Um, Richard, I know you have some th- thoughts as well. Well, I'll, I'll keep them brief. I, I could probably spend an hour and a half telling you about that team that I was fortunate enough to, to grow up with first went to Petodra in 1983 so it doesn't really get any better than that you know I often wonder if I'd have the the patience and loyalty of um, people who've come well after me and maybe you know say they'd first come along to an Aberdeen team managed by Alex Muller or something like that and then had the the 15-20 years that that have followed whether I would have had whether I would have kept that uh, passion but um, certainly growing up in Fergus era meant that that torch burned so so brightly and of course, he just he just was the manager. He just was the manager. Didn't know any differently. But like a man sort of elusively searching for that perfect love he had with his very first girlfriend, it, it, it just it won't ever be the same again. And it, there's been a lot said about how good Alex Ferguson was for Aberdeen. And of course, uh, uh, Jonathan North, Northcross, very fine piece in the Sunday Times, which um, I urge you to seek out if you can talks about him being our, our lottery win, which which is a reasonable statement to make. But what I would say is that Aberdeen were very good for him as well. Um, we had a very good squad of players at the time. Billy McNeil had done good things with us. Said we were up there. He also had a board that allowed him the space to make mistakes, but did also mirror his ambition off the pitch. He came into a part of the country, which uh, was a one-team part of the country, Allowed him to build that proper kingdom, which which he like, which he's obviously been replicated at Manchester United. It meant that, you know, the 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 youth talent was. We got first dibs and everything locally. We made sure that we also made significant inroads into Glasgow. He was able to build that siege mentality around the the club and the area about the the, the otherness almost of the northeast of Scotland from Glasgow, which despite being a Glaswegian himself, despite the fact many of his key players were Glaswegians, he knew exactly which buttons to push, not only to get his players on board, but get the supporters on board. Just um, a man so good at what he chooses to do for a living um, it, it, it's unreal and there's many other pieces which have gone into far greater detail about his his worth as a as a man and you know and the flip side to that is his anger obviously his his long-running feuds and there's negative aspects as well but a proper working class ethos there a proper old school football man in the Matt Busby Jockstein Lineage, but I don't want us to sound too much like an obituary, as Dolly Digital pointed out on on Saturday night when the news broke. If if anyone out there has the fortitude and the character to tell Brian Hemmings to fuck off, it's going to be Fergie. And Jody, um, I just obviously I'll pass over to yourself as well. 
Yeah, well, like, I was two years old when Fergie went to uh, Manchester United, so, like, obviously I missed a lot of it, but, I mean, the guy, the, the guy is just, like, it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't bear thinking about, like, what Aberdeen would be a, would be as a club without Fergie's influence. It's just, like, the guy, the guy will always be a legend to a lot of people. He's actually a wee bit of a legend to my family, if you don't mind me sharing a wee anecdote. Um, I think it was late 70s, maybe early 80s, there was a, a, it wasn't the Bayern Munich game in 83, but there was a European tie in Germany that uh, my parents hitchhiked to with no plan whatsoever. They, they hitchhiked from Scotland to Germany to, to take in this European tie. And after the game, like, they hadn't really thought anything through, so they ended up they ended up like somehow tracking down the team hotel and basically explained their um, their predicament that they had come all this way with no, no nowhere to stay and blah blah blah. So um, and no, no plans how to get back as well. So uh, Fergie and the people involved at the club actually allowed them to come back on the team plane, which was like such a fantastic gesture for them to do for two random probably drunken fans as well, if I know my parents as well as I do. My mum in particular will never hear a bad word about Fergie, especially considering about, I think it was a couple of Saturdays later, there was a home game against Motherwell where a couple of minutes in, my dad got arrested and marched straight past Fergie. And of course, Fergie just stands at the dugout, looks, and sees the guy that he recognises from a couple of weeks ago. And my mum says that's the most embarrassing moment of our life. (laughs) Fergie caught him being what he can be at the football. But um, yeah, like... Like, I think that's one of the things as well. Like, everybody knows Fergie as this imposing figure and this and this guy that everybody was afraid of. And obviously he was that as a manager. But when you look at the guy, and I think, I think the clip that kind of brings people towards it is when Portugal won the uh, Euro 2016 and he's waiting on Nani and Cristiano Ronaldo. And he just, like, somebody said it on Twitter where he just looks like a proud father. And... That's kind of what it was like. Is that's that's kind of the the side of Fergie that a lot of people don't know as well. So, for for all that there's this this obviously fear about the imposing manager. There there's a guy there as well, and a guy who cared for his players, and a guy who really got the best out of his players in any way possible. And for that, he was going to be a success wherever he went. And I'm just delighted he was part of this club's history. Couldn't agree more there, Jody. Um, yeah, once again, just want to reiterate, wish him all the best. Um, best wishes go to him. Um, if you're a praying type, you know, prayers and good thoughts go out there to him and his family. We've got um, one final topic to cover on tonight's this week's podcast. Uh, we're going to we have a game tomorrow against the Rangers. A huge, a huge match could decide uh, whether Aberdeen can secure European football, um, a win tomorrow almost guarantees uh, second place as well. There was a little issue pre-match, which we'll discuss as well first, guys. There was supposed to be a display organised by the display team at the Hibs game. Um, there was um, quite a big social media brouhaha on uh, Friday regarding it that it had been cancelled, um, some sort of decision by the club. Um, there is obviously information that we, we don't know. Uh, but it's been announced um, that discussions between the display team and the club, there will be a display tomorrow night uh, before the game against the Rangers. Um, something, obviously, there's, there was a huge negative reaction on social media. Um, it seems like this is one of the first times that the club have properly taken on board some negative feedback. Um, it was it was pretty strong, the reaction. It does seem like an own goal from someone within the club. Um, from the display team's statement, they did say that 
Um, they'd spoken to the SLO, who'd then spoken to Rob Wicks and I think Duncan Fraser. From the outside looking in here, um, it does seem that the the SLOs had to go above above someone. There's obviously someone at the club who was who isn't a fan of these sort of things. I personally think um, I'm not speaking from any any position of knowledge there. It's just um, an opinion. But Richard. Um, we we obviously I wasn't on the podcast last week, but I did listen. You discussed Aber DNA. We've we've mentioned it before. Um, the, the displays and these sort of things are how you build a fan base that believes in a club. And this hopefully will be just a kind of thing that is brushed under the carpet, and we can all move on from. Well, I, I don't think it, I don't think the the reason that this came about should necessarily be brushed under the carpet. I think there is uh, clearly some kind of blockage there an impasse, if you will. Um, the club are obviously very, very quick to use the images and the materials that come out of these displays for their own promotional needs, as they're entitled to, obviously. And I think you have to acknowledge as well that there are a lot of hoops these days to jump through in order to put on a public event in which fifteen to 20,000 people are going to turn up to. That has to be acknowledged that, again, is... The majority out of the club's hands, a lot of the things that need to be adhered to, um, which you know maybe a, a display group might want to do, but the sort of things that they were referencing in their um, statement last Friday about you know the size of polythene flags being slightly too big and being classed as surfer flags, and I would have hoped that between the different fan groups running this, we've been doing displays for. Well over a decade now, um, probably coming up for 20 years in fact, uh, since the, the Red Ultras first started. In most scenarios, if, you, if you've got that relationship or you've been doing that thing for 20 years, there would be there would be some good faith there in that relationship. It seems that it goes the other way in terms of certain people at the club. It seems that it's more, you know, people get more suspicious as time goes on instead of more trusting, which is really disappointing. Again, this is looking from the outside. I think it was good of the club to pretty much immediately rectify the damage that had been done come Friday. Um, hopefully it can be the start of a, a much more constructive relationship between the club and, and the Red Army display group. We are working on limited information here, as was almost everybody commenting on this on Friday. But um, you know, I'm glad that both sides have been willing to talk on this and we have if not a permanent resolution, at least something which allows a display to go ahead on Tuesday night and hopefully to start building that relationship on a firmer footing uh, come the close season. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's something that's quite important, Jody. that we've, um, we have seen that the, the there has been a lot of complaints in the past maybe 18 months that the club has become distant distanced from the support. And I think that the DNA scheme and other things that they've tried to bring on board is something that they're trying to maybe pull that back closer to. But, I mean, the, the, obviously the new stadium has been a hugely divisive issue as well. Um, so the club can ill afford those silly issues like this to happen, is can they? I think it's been, like the new stadium is actually kind of key in this discussion because, like, you see it in, you see it down England where, like, teams have moved to new stadiums and the stadium becomes what the fans make it. So... If the club continue to have such a distant relationship with the fans who are trying to create an atmosphere or even just create a display like they hope to on Saturday, then the, it's it, it, it can it can make the new stadium it could potentially make the new stadium a bit soulless. And we know how soulless Pataudry can be 
at times anyway. So I would like to see a scenario over the next couple of years before the new stadium opens that there is a bit more trust between the, the fans and the club and a much better relationship so that when the new stadium opens, we can actually create something like essentially what the Red Ultras was is what or what it should be now. It's what you see at places like 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 the Homestale Fanatics at Crystal Palace and places like that, yeah. where it is an important part of the culture of a home game. And I would love to see a scenario where that happens again. Like, because I, I got a little bit involved when the Red Ultras sort of tried to reboot a few years back, and obviously it never really got off the ground. But I got to know a few of the people and like really good guys as well. And I would love to see a scenario where. There are a bunch of people who are like, you know what, we're going to make the we're going to make this new stadium really mean something, and I just hope over the next couple of years that that relationship between the fans and the club can be made better, and that is, it would just it would just make home games more appealing for people, especially someone like me who's got a long a long journey um, to go to a home game. It would be so much better to know that I'm going to go and at least have an uh, an atmosphere and an experience rather than just. As much as I don't complain about sitting and watching a game of football, it would. It, I just feel making sure that we boost the crowds when the new stadium comes in is going to be critical, and I feel like the match day experience is really lacking at Pataudry. And if the relationship doesn't improve, then there's a good possibility that will happen with the new stadium, and that would be a massive missed opportunity. There, there would have been pollination from the continent anyway, but the groups that you see making noise in stadiums across Scotland, and Julie rightly references Crystal Palace, but. You know the the Green Brigade or the uh, the Blue Order or, or the guys at Motherwell uh, Motherwell Boys. The seeds of those groups were started by the Red Ultras, and you know what they brought to grounds in Scotland back um, around the turn of a century. So it, it's disappointing that we're now in a situation where we're struggling to to get something started at Petaudry when you know we were the instigators really in Scotland, as, as far as I'm aware of. Anyway, or maybe that's a bit of self. <laughs> mythology by the ultras themselves but that's how it seems to me as well that that was the... I very much hope as Jody says that this summer can be a reboot if we can maybe start fresh if there are people on either side who are causing the blockage then you know you try and take those out of the equation but you know the facts of the world in which we live in are that there are a lot of hoops to jump through to put on a public event and I think a lot of people do forget that when they're bumping their gums on social media well, let's hope the display goes well and, uh, and it can hopefully inspire uh, the team in the match. Um, like I mentioned earlier on, the press conference just happened um, with Eric McInnes um, about half an hour before we started recording this. It's announced that um, Gary McKay-Steven um, is out of the game with a knock. Uh, Niall McGinn is also doubtful to play as well. Um, and he said that obviously Kenny McLean will be back and Chidi Nakali is also available. So that's obviously a bit of a headache there to start off with, uh, Jody. Missing Mackay Stephen, you'd think that perhaps maybe Greg Stewart or someone, would, would, Greg Stewart, sorry, would come in to replace him. Niall missing as well really does uh, pose a bit of a, a bit of a headache for a team that, you know, we're playing again a Rangers team who, you know, they've got the as they didn't seem to have the new manager bounce on Saturday. Um, they kind of scraped their way to one 0 over Kilmarnock. I think a lot of players in that uh, that they have. I think this is personally for me. I think this is a time where this is a chance for Aberdeen to kind of put them put them away. Um, a lot of those players know that they probably won't be in the plans next season. There's going to probably be a. I think you know, 
depending on finances, and that's not an issue that I'm that I think we all get into on here. But they'll be trying to have a big turnover of players, so a lot of those players are not necessarily playing for their futures. They'll be playing elsewhere. Um, chance for us to really put them to the sword. Um, so it's a missing someone like Mackay Stephen and potentially Niall is really something that we could be doing without. Uh, a victory on Tuesday would really, I think, take away some of the bad will because I think, like, like our like our support, our creatures of habit, and we're all guilty of it. Is that like your your season can be defined by how you perform in these type of games, and it's safe to say that I mean we've been rotten in the three games against Rangers and. In terms, in terms of their performances, other than the first, the first visit to Ibrox, they haven't been up to that much either. And to lose a fourth game to Rangers this season would feel like the capper to the terrible season a lot of people feel like we've been having. But um, th- this, um, this is a massive opportunity on Tuesday just to remove some of that goodwill, ensure that we finish above Rangers like we have in every season of their existence. So, um, but like missing the wingers is like. Especially if Naomi getting misses because like one of the problems we've had is getting width against them and like if you can get the ball wide against Rangers and get crossed in the box, they can't defend it at all. So like the game plan on uh, well tomorrow should be to get the ball wide and get crosses in. Especially like I, I don't think Cosgrove did too badly on um, Saturday. I, I, he wasn't in the game as much as I'd have hoped, but I certainly didn't think he had a bad game and. This could be the type of game that's made for a guy like him. So if you can get the ball wide and get crosses in on his head, I mean, they're not going to defend that at all. So um, if we are missing G- well, we are missing GMS. If we're missing Nam again as well, then you need a guy like Greg Stewart to come in and make an impact because the time that we went to Ibrox and played with no wingers, and that was just infuriating. So get two wingers on tomorrow, get crosses in the box, and dare them to defend them well. Those people missing tomorrow are particularly annoying because the Rangers are going to have to play Andy Halliday at left back or have been for the last few games because um, Declan John's out for the rest of the season and uh, Lee Wallace hilariously remains suspended. thought of Mackay Stephen or McGinn running at him full tilt was giving me a lot of excitement ahead of Tuesday night so that's been taken away from me now and Greg Stewart, Ryan Christie are not that kind of player obviously. Even if second had already been tied up by this point it's a big, big game for Derek McInnes and Aberdeen, I believe, because of exactly what Jody has said. Um, we need to prove to the support that you know, we can beat them, that we're not just going to capitulate in every single game against the bigger teams in Glasgow this season, because that really would be damning. I guess it's theoretically possible you could, you could lose on Tuesday and still finish second, but regardless, he needs a win, I believe, on Tuesday. I sincerely hope he gets it, but yeah, those those uh, people missing are, are, are going to be a blow. But Kenny McLean is back, uh, so I you know I would hope and expect us to have much more control of the midfield. They're limping towards the season end with Jimmy Nicol in charge, with a group of players that don't know whether they're going to be here next year. Probably suspect they're not going to be here next year. They have come unstuck against teams far poorer than ourselves. But I would say, as playing away from home does tend to suit them much better counter-attacking side than they are a creative side. Uh, they have attackers that can damage us, and we've seen that already this season. The other factor is our lack of creativity against them, just the, the one goal from Frank Ross's free kick. There is a lot to improve upon in terms of past uh, meetings with them, and there's things to improve upon from, from Saturday, absolutely. I, I don't think it was much more than a 6 out of 10 
uh, hard-working display on Saturday. If the side wants to finish second, it is there for them. And the rewards that come with that, not just that action for the club, but it's maybe an extra, and I saw this being referenced by one of the players this week, it's maybe an extra week or two's holiday, as obviously it will probably mean going into Europe around later. Those games start a couple of weeks later than they did the last few seasons uh, in 2018-2019. So there's a lot of incentives to get the job done on uh, Tuesday. It won't completely get the job done, but I would actually be quite surprised if Hibs go to Tynecastle and win. But who knows, it could be two draws and things could still be up in the air come Sunday. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Richard, no, a, win, a win will assure European football um, for us in any case. And you're almost, almost just almost guarantees second place so it's, it's really important for the players um, I think we'll only have you know, we, it's not like we've got a lot of players who are going to be going away to the World Cup um, I, don't, I would seriously doubt that Carrie Artis will be here next season so um, Richard's right to mention that Jody that it is important that we get the, the players get a bit of a, you know, some rest over the, the summer months we've seen where, you know, where Niall McGinn came back after the, the last Euros um, he looked at he was a shell of the player that he, we'd seen um, and, and then he had to be given some time off. I don't think he travelled to Dubai with the team, for example. So that that break is is super important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because like, if I, if I remember rightly, McGinn played on the Saturday against Wales. I don't think he started, but he came on as a sub. And then he was put. And then on the Thursday after, we had a European game. So yeah. like, it's just it's just not ideal, like the start time. So like. As, as dumb as it sounds, like that should be a massive incentive. Like where it's like, I mean, everybody expects professional footballers to be robots, but um, if you actually break it down, if you're a professional footballer and part of your um, part of your motivation is if you win this game, you're going to get an extra fortnight off. Then you know, like that 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 in a weird way should be motivation enough, regardless of the fact that we're playing the Rangers. So um, yeah, like it, it is it is a massive thing for the team, and like you say, we probably. We probably won't have anybody going to the World Cup who's going to be returning to Pataudry next season, but um, getting that sort of extra couple of weeks would would be a massive thing. So um, it would be it would be a huge it would be a huge disappointment to to not wrap that up. Obviously, there's the there's the the small possibility that there'll be no European football next season at all, which would be which would be a major disappointment. But um, yeah. Like motivation enough should be the extra couple of weeks off, and I, I don't blame any footballer for thinking like that. I know it's entirely out with our remit, but can we do a uh, uh, Stephen Gerrard uh, dismissal lottery, please, uh, or sweeper rather? I do. So, in what month do we think he's going to get the sack? Do you mean? Oh no, I've got a date. I've got an actual date. I think it'll be January <laughs> January the thirtieth, and I'll tell you why. Because that's the that's the date that any sort of Scottish Cup fourth round replays would take place. So I think it's going to be an absolute Inverness Cali Thistle go ballistic situation. I'm just wondering who will play the part of uh, Steve Patterson's team. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, that's a that's a good. Um, so so you're going for January thirtieth. Okay. What about you, Jody? I'll say, uh, well, I'll, I, I won't give a date, but I will say the first game after the split next season when they inevitably capitulate to Celtic again. <laughs> we both think he's going to last after Christmas. That's pretty good. I think that. Well, I think you'll. I think you'll last till after Christmas because I think that in my heart of hearts, I desperately hope that they finish fourth and don't qualify for Europe. So, 
um, that there won't be the shameful early European exit, which would be quite funny. Um, so yeah, you'll. Pro- I think you'll. I think you'd probably last till till probably run right about the split next season, um, and then there'll be kind of questions asked. And if I'm being totally honest, I would love them to go bust before then again. Anyway, you know, that's the dream is for them to go bust over the summer. If I'm totally honest. That is entirely um, plausible, that they might Gerard dismiss Gould. themselves before Gerard gets a chance to be dismissed. Stevie Gould crawling back to his role at the at Liverpool Reserves would um, would be just as ex- would be just as exciting as him getting sacked three four months into the job. So, um, but any of those any of those three options are more than happy. Um, if you're listening out there, you no, know, give us your predictions of when Stevie will be sacked um, by the Rangers, and um, yeah, the best ones will will give them a shout out on Twitter. Uh, that brings the podcast for an end. Um, I want to thank the guest this week. I want to thank Richard Hay for coming back. Hi, Richard. Yeah, I've, I've come back every week. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Jody, for coming back on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. Cheers, guys. Anytime. Here's to three points over the Rangers tomorrow. Come on, you Reds. Let's get it done. Yeah.